0: Welcome to the Living Leadership Podcast, equipping leaders to live in Christ joyfully and serve him faithfully. The following audio was recorded at Refresh Network Online, an online community for gospel encouragement and refreshment for Christian leaders and their spouses.
1: So I'm going to try and do my best to to serve you as well as I can this morning. As I, as I said to the group just before we started, I've got far too much material and far too little time. So it's maybe a bit of a, a pick and mix of a few thoughts and hopefully some of them will be of relevance to you. Uh, I was broadly sort of asked to talk about leader, leaders and prayer. Uh, I'm going to take a, a a little bit of a, perhaps a slightly unusual angle on it. And uh, it's certainly something that I've been living with for the last seven or eight years, really, and really putting a lot of my time into trying to um, help stimulate a culture uh, within our own family of churches and, and increasingly beyond that as, uh, as I've had opportunities. So I'm just going to share a few thoughts that were, were stimulated in me, uh, I, I, think, I believe, by the Lord, and a little bit of the journey that, that I've gone on from that, and I trust it will be of some help. Thinking about how we can personally be refreshed and strengthened yeah. as leaders but, all, but and the role that prayer plays in that. And uh, we might uh, perhaps think that when I say a subject like that, we would think about the leader and their own prayer life. And of course, that is vital and valuable, but that's not the angle I'm going to take. Uh, today. So I'm going to go for about 20 minutes or so, uh, give you some thoughts, and then maybe throw a couple of questions out for you to think about uh, in the groups. I won't have time to cover everything, this morning, but um, I, I, I'm really not trying to do too many book plugs, but this is <laughs> this is a practical one. But I did do this uh, other book called The Prayers of Many, um, which basically goes through a lot more of what I'm going to try to say in terms of how to build a culture of corporate prayer uh it's available on, on amazon so uh if you feel you're a bit stimulated in thought by some of the things i say this morning then 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 if you want to buy the book and read it a bit more deeply it's only a sort of a thin sort of coffee table book so it's not a difficult read um <laughs> so i'm not a particularly skilled writer but it's you know it, it does the job right so it might be of help to you just thinking about the future so the prayers of many um available on Amazon. So if we could just look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I just want to start there as a bit of a backdrop. And uh, Paul, if you're familiar with that chapter, he's writing to the Corinthian church and he says in verse 8, we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we'd received the sentence of death. Now that, that's not a good that's not a good day, uh, in the office by any stretch of the imagination. That that that's not things are not going well. And you kind of think, um, that's not even a good way to begin a letter, is it really? By saying, you know, I feel like dying. I actually think I am going to die. And I'm so burdened beyond my strength, we just feel like giving up. Um Oh, and by the way, here's a few other things I wanted to say. It's, it's not, yeah, it's, the point is he's, his back is against the wall. He is in, he's reflecting on extremities of feeling, extremities in leadership that were so um, remarkably demanding that he said, look, this, this was such an extraordinarily difficult time. Uh, that I, I, I was at my uh, at the end of my um, ability. I, I was distraught. I mean, this it, it, is his language is quite excessive here in terms of leadership, uh, burnout, burn down, giving up, whatever you to call it. it. This is this is very bad, and I uh, you know I guess part of the um, calling ministry. Vision of living leadership is to recognise that at times, for all leaders, we have our two Corinthians one moments where we live in seasons of extremity and uh, thinking, "I like, I do not know what to do, I do not know what to do, I can't, I can't manage, I can't, I can't make my way through this out of my own resources." I don't know about you, but when I as I've gone through my Christian life, I've always tried to think. Um, how do I learn from people I admire in the Christian life? So men and women maybe, you know of past generations who you read about and you read about how they navigated their Christian leadership um, and their life? or looking at Paul and other biblical characters, how did they navigate, you know, I'm interested. Well, Paul, what did you do when you were feeling like that? Or, and people I've known in my own lifetime and do know in my own lifetime, men and women of God who I admire who I look up to, I think it's good to have role models like that. I mean, Paul said, whatever you've heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. So there's nothing wrong in copying people, copying good things, learning good things from people, not just about getting information from good people. It's about you know following them. Paul talks about you know considering the outcome of their way of life. When it talks about obeying leaders, it's considered the outcome of the, their way of life. So there's something about looking at how people live And learning from it, copying it, uh, emulating it, that's a a good thing. And so Paul here is a a ministry crisis where he's really feeling it. And I want to ask the question of him. I want to ask the question, what did he do at that moment? Because there's a good chance that if I can learn from what he did, then it's quite likely that I will gain the same help using the same methods that he did at that time. And now we might think, without going any further into the chapter at the moment, without, without sneaking a peek, we might think he would write and say, look, I need a sabbatical, I need a holiday, it's been really difficult, I'm going to come and have a rest and uh, just get over this difficult time. There would have been nothing wrong with him saying that, and we would encourage people to have good rhythms of rest and Sabbath and all the rest of it. He could have said, uh, look, we need some extra team here. Uh the team's really struggling. Can you send some more people? The mission has got far more demands than we realised. We need some reinforcements. Again, that would have been understandable. Would have been, you know, nothing to be completely um criticised for. It. it would seem wise leadership to call for extra workers in the harvest. You know, we're even told to pray for workers, you know, to go into the harvest field. But he didn't do that. He could have said, look, we need, we need some money. We need uh, some, some uh, strategy. We need to rethink our strategy. We're going to come back, get a flip chart, get all our brightest people in the room and rethink the strategy because obviously it's not working. All of that would have been quite reasonable to do as a leader. And I would say, sadly, sadly, That is, those kinds of responses are mostly what we would tend to find in the Western church, generally speaking. What he does is quite telling. He writes to them, and in verse 11, when he's outlined all of that, he says this, and this is to the whole church. He says, you also, the whole church, must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Now, some years ago, God really arrested me with that verse, and it was as if I'd never read it before. And I suddenly thought, gosh, there's something here. There's a cultural shift here that we, I can only talk about, you know, my own personal responsibility of the, the field of service I've got. I thought we've got to shift the culture here. Because we did not have a culture that would respond in that way to, le- to leadership pressure. It's not that we didn't have a culture that valued prayer, but what we would tend to do is we would expect Paul to have written to Epaphras. Uh, now, Epaphras, we are told, wrestled in prayer. It was, he was known for it. He had a particular grace on his life to pray. And what I found over the years is that often in church life or in sort of whole movements, there are people who have a particular grace for intercession, who have a particular passion for prayer. Um, and what tends to happen in church life is they, they get moved into a sort of like a, a department or a specialism. And uh, so when we have prayer meetings, if we have them at all, because many churches don't even have prayer meetings anymore, no expression of corporate prayer. But if we do have them, they tend to be fairly small meetings populated by people who feel they've got a real grace on them to intercede, a room full of Epaphras types. Nothing, And that's not criticism. Maybe some great Epaphras people on this call. And we need them. That's a particular grace. But Paul did not say to the Corinthians, listen, I want you to get all your Epaphras intercessors together and pray for me. He didn't say that. He didn't ask for specialists. He asked that the whole church the experienced prayers the new believers children adults everyone that was would be within the sound of this letter being read was being addressed by him and he didn't give them an option he said you must you must help us you must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks in answer for the blessing granted through the prayers of many. And the next thing that caught my attention was that this seems to me to be the only time in the New Testament we find Paul directly linking the numbers of people participating in an activity spiritually to be directly linked to the outcome that's achieved. Now, in the in many over many years, we've been used. All of us have probably been used to seeing books about church growth, conferences about church growth. How big is your church? How can you grow your church? How many people are in your church? All those kind of questions and conferences and topics. And yet, nowhere in the New Testament does Paul ever say that the size of your church is linked to whether it can be fruitful or not. Uh, no. If we ask the question, you know, what is the ideal size of a local church? Well, the, num- the, 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 the answer is bigger. Of course, it's, 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 <laughs> everyone wants their church to grow, and we should want church growth. But church growth is not linked to church fruitfulness. A church plant can be fruitful, a church of 30 can be fruitful, a church of 100 can be fruitful. What he does say, and I want you to look at the scriptures rather than listen to what I'm saying. I want you to, I want to expand this verse just to actually say, what is he saying, not what do we think he's saying? What he says here is that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted. Right. So there's a man really up against it. He needs God to break through. He's anticipating a blessing being granted that will help him in that situation. And it will come through prayers of God many. The implication clearly being, if many are not involved, then the blessing might well be either missed or diluted. Now, that's quite a thing, which is why at the beginning of the verse, he says, you must help. This is not a small matter. This really does matter because we, as leaders, are really up against it. The whole church needs to be engaged in a culture of corporate prayer that will result in a blessing for us who, as leaders, are right up against it. Now, let step back from that for a minute. I think we are often, as leaders, a little uh, nervous, cautious, embarrassed, um, feel slightly self-indulgent, Uh, to say to, imagine standing up and saying to your church this coming week, look, um, we want all of you to pray for me. You know, that that doesn't sit very comfortably when you first say it. You think, well, isn't that a little bit self-focused? Well, the point is, Paul recognises that without prayer, he's not going to, get the answers he needs if he doesn't get the answers he needs they're not going to be led very well there is actually a very important self-interest here for a local church that if you want your church to be thriving if you want things to be going well then you do need to pray for the leaders there's a strategic wisdom and benefit to everyone that that takes place and paul doesn't seem to be afraid to say you know you must. He's writing to everyone. He doesn't feel embarrassed to say that. Now, I I, I think we've got to probably ask, why would we feel embarrassed about asking for prayer? Does it feel somehow maybe that it feels self-indulgent? Does it perhaps feel like um, we think that we're the only ones or the most important ones that need prayer? Does it feel like, well, um, will anyone really be interested in doing that for us? There can be all sorts of questions, and it's not that leaders are the only ones that need to be prayed for uh, at all. In mean, in Timothy, Paul says, you know, first of all, I ask that prayers are made for everyone, or kings and rulers and authorities. You know, so he, there is a there is an encouragement. The corporate prayer, I suppose. The, the point I'm trying to make is corporate prayer is of first importance in the church. It's interesting, Paul talks about two firsts, doesn't he? In uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 3, he says, as of first importance, Christ died for our sins, was buried, was raised on the third day according to the scripture. That's the first important thing. You know, Everything else is secondary. That's the first important thing. Christ died for our sins, was buried, was raised. So there's a first importance doctrine, but he uses that same phrase as a first important practice in Timothy. He says, as of first importance, I want you to, pr- then prayers must be made for everyone. So first importance doctrine, first importance practice, I would suggest that both those things come under attack in the local church because the enemy knows that those are the two key things that really do matter, that the gospel is maintained as the prime prime thing that really does matter doctrinally. And that corporate prayer actually is an engine room, a first priority practice that every local church needs to have, driving everything else. It's not a department. It's not a secondary thing. It's something very, very, very important. I can quote Spurgeon just in case, because it's always good to quote Spurgeon if you're talking about something a bit controversial. Because uh, you know, if you don't agree with me, we can. You're more likely to agree with him. And he said something like this. He said. Uh, Someone said that 2,000 or 3,000 people have no more power in prayer than two or three. I think that's a grave mistake in many ways. Have you never noticed that when many people are together praying, a warmth of desire and a glow of earnestness are greatly increased? So even even Spurgeon observed that the more people we engage in corporate prayer, the more effect it has, the more... Atmosphere and momentum are created. It's it's it is directly linked to the to numbers. It it, it makes a difference. So the next thing I find with leaders, and I'll, I'll just kind of so the first first question is this: How comfortable would you feel saying to your church, "We want all of you to pray for me and for the leadership team that are leading this church, and to do it regularly." How, how comfortable do you feel doing that, and what would be some of the hindrances, and how do you think you might overcome them? That's that's perhaps a, a question for group reflection. The um, the, the, the set, so we have to get over ourselves a little bit in in saying our need for prayer, and uh, I think Paul does it in a brilliant way actually in in two Corinthians one because he he says here in verse nine we after he says we felt. The sentence of death. He says, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So his foundation why he's asking for prayer is not self interest, it's not, you know, some sort of, you know, personal gain. He's saying, I've learned that actually I'm having to rely on God to make to do this at all. So I really need you to pray for me because I can't do it in my own strength. Now, that's a great teaching point for a whole church to learn that we're all dependent on God. But it's also a great way of helping leaders connect the need for prayer with, for their church to pray for them by saying, look, we're, we're so dependent and reliant on God, all of us. We need you to pray for us. I don't have all the answers. I'm, no, no, I'm no, not a super Christian any more than any of you are. Uh, I've got my own issues. I've got things I'm struggling with. I need you be praying for me and for us as a leadership team so he levels the playing field so everybody thinks well actually we're, we're all in the same need of prayer so that that's one one way he does it the second thing i find is a big challenge whenever we talk about corporate prayer uh, or even personal prayer is that the second immediate thing that comes into everybody's mind is well i'm not very good at it um and i you know i've apart from people like epaphras Uh, who are named, so they can't be that common, can they? You know, the fact that Paul identified him as a particularly unusual kind of person who was able to wrestle in prayer with great freedom um, marked him out as a little bit of an unusual case. Because most of us, I think, um, if we're we're honest, say that our prayer lives, you know, we have to keep giving attention to that. And that can make us feel... As a ch- our churches can feel, well, I am not really good at prayer, so if we say there's a prayer meeting, I don't think I'll go because I'm not really good at it. Um, and and we can feel as leaders, goodness, I don't know if we can ever really get the church praying because, you know, not everyone feels it's very comfortable at it. We've not really seen very many numbers at the prayer meetings. People find it difficult, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, well, my my, my counter-argument to that is that the Bible actually agrees with us that we're not any good at it. Uh, the Bible confirms our suspicions that we are no good at it, uh, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. So Romans 8.26 says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know what we ought to pray as we ought. We don't know how to pray. We're, the Bible agrees, you and I are rubbish at prayer. Do we We don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. We don't know what things to pray for. We don't know how to do it. But the Spirit helps us in that weakness, in that lack, by himself interceding for us, like aiding us with groanings too deep for words. So whatever our lack in ability, he makes it up. So by the time our prayers get to Heaven and they arise before the Lord like that bowl of incense in Mm -hmm. Revelation and that beautiful smell of prayer that it says fills the nostrils of God and moves his arm of action. Our prayers, even our very weak ones, uh, Mm -hmm. are made up into something beautiful and presentable to the Lord by the Holy Spirit himself making up what our lack is. So we have to train ourselves and we have to train our churches to actually believe, no, we don't feel very good at prayer because we're not very good at it, but the Holy Spirit makes up what's lacking. And I find that that that, uh, philosophy regarding prayer actually helps engage the church much more in it. Now, there's a lot more I could say about how you build a prayer culture. I haven't got time to do that. But for the sake of this morning, I just want to leave us with a couple of things to think about. One is, how comfortable do we feel asking for prayer? Because we certainly should do as leaders, we should, and even if we start with a small group of Epaphras type people, that's fine as a personal sup- uh, prayer support group. And certainly, thing, certainly, you can't always share publicly all the things you want prayer for because you know there's, there's appropriate levels of disclosure and all that sort of stuff. So the question: Do you have a group of people who regularly pray for you, who who you can? you know, give them things uh, uh, to pray for and you don't feel embarrassed about that. You know that they're really up for praying for you. Every leader should have that. Every leader should have, even if we just start there, never mind the whole church, just start there and we can build on it. Do you have such a group? Um, (coughs) And the second thing is how, uh, with what I've said, how is your church doing with corporate prayer? And if you could begin to make some changes in that regard, what might that look like? Where would where might you start just to begin to get into a little bit more of being able to respond? If Paul wrote to your church and said, you must pray for me, um, if he wrote to the whole church, uh, what, what would you do in response to that? So what, what steps would you begin to take to stimulate more of a, more of a corporate prayer culture in your local church? What's the second question. So do you have a group that pray for you? And how comfortable do you feel asking for prayer? What would you do to stimulate your local church to be a little bit more able to respond to what Paul encourages the Corinthian church to do collectively?
0: Thank you for listening to the Living Leadership Podcast. We hope what you've heard today spurs you on in your walk with the Lord. If you're encouraged by today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend or colleague or leaving us a review on your podcast app of choice to help others find us. If you'd like to engage further with us on anything we've discussed today, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on any major social media application at Living Leaders or you can visit our website, www.livingleaders.com livingleadership.org, where you'll find even more support and resources to help you live in Christ joyfully and serve him faithfully. Blessings.